Welcome to Immerse Beginnings, reading for week one, day one. Introduction to Beginnings The Bible tells the story of how our world that's gone wrong is being made right again. God's creation was intended to be beautiful and harmonious, but due to the deception of evil powers and human disobedience, the creation became broken and disordered, cursed. Yet ever since the fall, God has been working patiently and carefully to restore humanity to His presence and the whole creation to its lost beauty and harmony. The biblical narrative of restoration and renewal takes a significant step forward every time God establishes a covenant. These covenants are God-initiated sets of promises and obligations that establish a binding relationship between God and His people. In our day, we are more familiar with contracts, agreements enforceable by human law. But in the ancient world, people made covenants, which carried the expectation that God would bless them for keeping the covenant's terms or curse them for breaking them. And as a full participant in the covenants he makes, God actually puts himself under his own curse should he break the terms. The goal of these God-initiated covenants is to gather people into communities that will live the life He intends for everyone. Through communities deeply connected to their Creator, this life will spread outward to other people as well. Starting with chosen individuals, then a family, and then a nation, God moves in the interest of winning back all things in heaven and on earth. The first five books of the Bible tell the story of the first three covenants God makes with Noah, Abraham, and Moses, who act as humanity's representatives. The first nine books of the Bible, Genesis through Samuel Kings, are actually one continuous narrative. Sometimes referred to as Israel's primary history, this saga covers the story from the birth of the world to the painful account of God's people being exiled from the land of promise. The first five books have a special status of their own, and in Christian tradition are known as the Pentateuch, meaning five books in Greek. But its ancient Hebrew name, Torah, reveals the purpose of these books more clearly. Torah is probably best translated as instruction. As God's covenant community follows these instructions, they not only receive God's blessings, but also are uniquely positioned to bring renewal and healing to the world, as implied in God's promises to Abraham. God's instructions to His people are the catalyst for their movement to show all peoples the true character and nature of God. The community of God's people is being sent on a mission to renew the world, and these instructions are its marching orders. This Torah is conveyed through a variety of literary genres— or kinds of writing. About two-thirds of these first five books consist of laws that instruct people on how to live the life that God intends. These laws appear both in general terms, love your neighbor as yourself, and in specific cases. If you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey that has strayed away, take it back to its owner. These laws were given to govern the covenant relationship between God and His people. It is important to understand that these laws are for God's people in a particular historical and cultural setting and in an early stage of God's story with respect to the world. Many of the particular laws are not God's final, timeless answers about how we should live. 
The entire Bible tells this ongoing story, and more light is shed as the story moves forward. In addition to stories and laws, we find songs and poems that celebrate special events or anticipate the future. There are family trees, genealogies, listing people in relation to their ancestors and descendants, locating their historical place in the community that experienced God's faithfulness generation after generation. Other kinds of lists appear as well, detailing kings, spies, stopping points along a journey, job assignments, and so forth. These books also contain elaborate blueprints for a place of worship and its furnishings, and even census reports for the population of Israel. All of these different kinds of writing are woven together into a single work, whose overall purpose is to describe the formation of the covenant community. This community, the ancient nation of Israel, will constitute God's people on earth for the first three quarters of the Bible. Over the course of these first five books, Beginnings, we follow the community from its earliest ancestors to the moment it is poised to enter the land God promised them. There, the community can begin living a life that will lead the surrounding nations to exclaim, How wise and prudent are the people of this great nation! Immersed in Genesis The first book of the Bible lays the foundation for the rest of the Bible's story. It reveals God as the world's sovereign creator. It shows His intention to bring blessing to people, His image-bearers, and for all life to thrive by living in His presence. Genesis tells us about the entrance of evil into the world and the commencement of God's struggle against it, a theme that flows through the whole Bible. God created the world as His own temple, intending to live here among humanity for their well-being. But how will God achieve His goal in the face of rebellion and disobedience? Genesis tells the story of God's dealings with humanity from the world's creation to the time when Abraham's descendants were beginning to grow into the nation of Israel. It does this by giving the accounts, the word that marks the major divisions of the book, of notable people. The most important figures are part of the covenant lineage and therefore advance the ongoing story. Others, described much more briefly, represent offshoots that will be drawn back in later as the reach of the covenant community spreads to all of humanity. In the first four accounts, human disobedience leads to evil and violence that corrupt the created world. Seeing that everything people think or imagine is consistently and totally evil, God is sorry He made them. He destroys wicked humanity in a great cleansing flood, but spares Noah and his family, the only righteous people left. After the flood, Noah worships God, and God makes His first covenant. With Noah serving as their representative, humanity and all animals on earth receive God's promise, never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. God then makes a second covenant, one that will ultimately transform humanity, starting with only a small group. God promises a man named Abram, later renamed Abraham, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him and his descendants. God tells him to leave his home and move to a new place, the land of Canaan. 
Abraham essentially becomes a wanderer in that land and eventually has a son named Isaac, who becomes the heir to all that God has promised. God renews his covenant with Isaac and then again with Isaac's son, Jacob, who then has twelve sons of his own. These twelve sons will become the ancestors of the tribes of Israel. The book concludes by describing the life of Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. Joseph is betrayed and cast off by his jealous brothers, but he ultimately has a surprising role in preserving the family so that it can expand into a nation. Throughout Genesis, we see God relentlessly pursuing his plans to renew humanity and the rest of creation, blessing the covenant community in their obedience and overcoming their disobedience. Genesis consists mostly of stories, but family trees, which connect the stories of people in different generations, also play a big role. Ancient Hebrew writers loved to tell stories using the literary form of chiasm, in which the first and last episodes slash elements are paired, then the second and next to last episodes slash elements are paired, and so forth. This literary structure lays out a series of situations that are resolved in the reverse order of their initial appearance. The formatting of this edition of Genesis will single out the separate elements of the chiasms as they appear. Here's a brief example from the account of the flood. A. Noah builds an ark. B. God tells Noah to enter the ark. C. The waters rise. D. The waters flood the earth. C. The waters recede. B. God tells Noah to leave the ark. A. Noah builds an altar. The overall story in Genesis has an artistic shape. Its 11 accounts, together with its prologue about creation, give it 12 parts, mirroring the 12 tribes Abraham's descendants would grow into. The storytelling in Genesis is marvelous, and it's best to read continuously through the whole book. The stories are set in an ancient world very different from our own, so don't be surprised at the strangeness of some of what we encounter. But the characters in these stories are human, and very much like us in crucial ways. God is wrestling with them to slowly bring His redemptive purposes into our world. The name Genesis means beginnings. It is the perfect introduction to the entire Bible, giving us the framework for understanding everything that follows. The Book of Genesis In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. 
Then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land, and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants, and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures, and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water, and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth, 
and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing in the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Aser. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman, because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. 
the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you are naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat, until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return." Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This concludes today's Immerse Reading Experience. Thank you for joining us.